funny? Yes. If you're like me, you're no doubt a big fan of this podcast of Pope on Film. I mean, who is it nowadays in this in this hectic hustle and bustle? Yes. Of, of life in 2020. Who isn't a fan of the Pope on Film podcast? But only real fans, true hardcore fans, would know two undeniably real facts about the both of us, America's hottest will-they-or-won't-they couple, Bunny and Steve. First and foremost is the fact, the absolute and in no way made up on the spot fact that you, Bunny, uh, I don't know if anybody knows this about you, but uh, when you're not doing the podcast, you're a, a very successful animal breeder. So tell us, Bunny, how you got started in the business and what are you currently breeding? What am I currently breeding? Yes. Well, I try breeding a variety because you never know. Basically, next season, because this is a business that works in seasons, you never know what the hot species is going to be next season. Um, so currently, I am trying to breed those those horned beetles. The ones that kind of look like rhinoceros. Alarm. I am trying to breed them. They nice. seem particularly partial to Johnny Mathis oh, and cocaine. Um, now, between those two things, I, I mean, we haven't had any uh, production out of them, should I say. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm kind of blaming the cocaine. I mean, who could blame Johnny Mathis? Okay. Uh, here here's just an idea. I'm not a professional like you are, but yeah. just why don't you switch to Lionel Richie? Yeah, Lionel Richie. You think? That's, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Lionel Richie works every time. Yeah, that's what I'm. Yeah, yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, but that is one. Of the things that I'm breeding, I am also breeding uh, bloodworms. Um, if you ever gone fishing and you can't help but avoid fishing when you grow up on fucking Long Island, yeah, and it's okay if you're if you're if you're intentionally wanting to go out and have a really boring day, you know, and. Oddly enough, sometimes you are in the mood for that kind of thing. Bloodworms are a particular type of worm that you can get at the bait store. Like, I'm sure other things are called bloodworms, too. Yeah. Uh, bloodworms, too. The dark world. But basically, they are blood red. And they look similar to centipedes. Except hmm. that those aren't legs on a bloodworm. Those are just weird ass dangly shit for some fucking reason. Yeah. <laughs> and then in its head, it has jaws and teeth. And you can get a nasty bite on them, and they are fucking frightening as shit to look at. Uh, I'm going to take your word for that. I don't need to see. And the big thing is, is that because they got they got the jaws and the teeth, 
what you want to do is you want to squeeze them in the back of the head for them to open the jaws and put the fucking hook through, which you know what? They deserve. Yes, yes, it sounds like it. It sounds like they deserve it. They are frightening abominations, as far as I can tell. They are fucking Lovecraftian looking. Yeah. They sound And one of the few joys to fishing. That's weird. That is weird. So I am reading those uh, related to fishing. Uh, I am also breeding spider crabs. We need a nice. lot more spider crabs. We need more, crabs. We need we more used of those. To pull them out of the ocean. They would they would get stuck on the hook, try and eat the bait, and you would pull up a spider crab. There is another nightmare looking creature. Yeah. Oh, because first off, when they put out their claws and extend their claws when they get pulled out of the water, that's a good three or four foot span that's, that you were looking at. It, it looks like you just pulled a goddamn giant spider out of the fucking yeah. ocean. It is terrifying. Yeah, that's frightening. That is frightening. It is terrifying. Uh, okay. Uh, good to know. Good to know. This was an educational, <laughs> this was an educational uh, introduction, and I like that. And now, the they go for the Lionel Richie. Yes. You know, yes. they and go for the Lionel Richie. They kind of yeah. like, they kind of like prefer Lionel Richie and Silas Ivan. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the second thing that you would know about me is that I'm a lover of history. I love it, but I'm also a storyteller. So what I like to do is I like to find a story from the history books, maybe one that people don't know too well, and reword it via my own unique storytelling style. And that's what this is, another educationally uneducational installment of Steve's Historic Approximations! Dun, dun, dun. Or Shap, as I like to call it, repeatedly annoyingly, whether anyone wants me to or not. Personally, I like the name Shap. It's short. It's saucy. It's the Bridget the Midget of porn of podcast segments. Anywho, this week on the old Shappity Shap Shap. Hey, while you were talking about fishing in Long Island, um, uh, I always thought that Joe Pesci was from Long Island, but he's not. You know where Joe Pesci's from? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Orange County, New Jersey. Short Island. Short Island. Yeah, that's where Joe Pesci's from. Okay. So, just just fun fact. Fun fact for you. Anywho, this week on the old Shappity Shap Shap, we will be discussing one of the strangest topics we have ever discussed here on Steve's Historic Approximations. And that says a lot coming from me. Okay? Yes. That says a lot. We have tackled some very strange topics from an angry customer uh, causing a frustrated cook to accidentally invent potato chips to flying a midget on a kite in Central Park. We've covered a lot of strange shaps on this podcast. So it says a lot that this one will be discussing the one topic that no one ever expected. Uh, this is how it came to be. So I was here 
on my computer, typing, typing, typing up, and the kids were watching some video, and it, it, it was a duck, and the duck was just sort of doing this weird walk, and someone said, hey, that duck is dancing, and, and I got to thinking, like, wait a second, so I found myself singing a song, and then I started thinking, wait a second, how did this song come to be? And uh, so I, I learned the story of the song and I found it to be pretty amazing. And that is where we are. The, the true story of the strangest number one song in the history of number one songs. Okay. Uh, and I never thought I would ever, ever say this next sentence sincerely, but here we go. I want to talk about Rick D's. Okay. <laughs> Rick D's. Okay. Yes, Rick D's. Growing up, he loved the radio and he wanted to work in radio. He got his first job at a local small-time radio station in Greensboro, North Carolina, WGBG, when he was still a high schooler. WGBG was an AM radio station, and uh, Rick Dees would, uh, would work there, and he would do the Sunday morning shift that nobody else wanted. And uh, hardly anyone listened to, but hey, Rick Dees was on the radio and that's all that matters. So he would do Sunday mornings on air at WGBG. He loved the radio. Then he went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Odd story. Uh, his BFF in college, Rick Dees' best friend in college was a guy named um, Ken Lowe, who would eventually create... The Home and Garden Network, HGTV. Okay. That's really weird that Rick Dees and the creator of Home and Garden Television were best friends in college. I just think that's really weird. Yeah. Then fresh out of college, he was hired to do weeknights from 9 p.m. to midnight on WKIX-FM Top 40 Hits in Raleigh, North Carolina. That station was owned by Pat Patterson. That's Pat Patterson, the North Carolina radio legend who died in 2017, and not Pat Patterson, the recently deceased, quote, openly gay wrestler, yeah. unquote. And and I, I say that with quotes because uh, so Pat Patterson worked for a very long time with the WWE and he recently died. And so the WWE is out there. It's like, oh, yes, the WWE is mourning the loss of Pat Patterson, the first openly gay wrestler who wrestled for WWE. And a lot of that is kind of bullshit because yeah. – the WWE has a lousy track record with LGBTQ. The, the only they treat LGBTQ the same way that they treat the coronavirus by closing their eyes and pretending that it doesn't exist. The only time that you'll ever see LGBTQ storylines on the WWE is when it's lesbians making out. Yes. Okay. So Pat Patterson was an old-timey wrestler from the 50s and 60s and 70s, and then he retired, and then he became an on-screen persona during, like, the WWE Attitude Era yeah. of, like, uh -huh. the 90s. And then in 2018, 
he Pat Patterson came out in 2018. Okay. Way after he was wrestling. Yeah. In 2018, he came out. And then he recently died. But now the WWE is out there saying, oh, yes, legendary Pat Patterson, the first openly gay wrestler in history yeah. who wrestled for us, the WWE. A lot of that is just uh, like PR, you know? Well, well, well it, it's the WWE. I mean, I would never just assume that the WWE was telling me the truth in any way. If it, WWE says, okay, Pat Patterson is, was the first openly gay wrestler, but it's like, no, because when he was wrestling, he was not openly gay. He didn't come out until 2018. So what yeah. you're saying is bullshit. He, in, there- fact, in fact, he didn't come out until he was well the fuck away from you bastards. Yeah, so so okay. it's, it's, it's total... It's total BS. Like, were there gay people as cast members on Saturday Night Live? Probably. But yeah. Kate McKinnon was the first one to say, hey, I'm Kate McKinnon. I am openly gay. So she is the first openly gay cast member. That doesn't mean that there weren't other cast members who were gay, but she was the first openly gay cast member. You can't say that Pat Patterson was the first openly gay wrestler because he wasn't openly gay when he was wrestling. Right. Right, it's 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 like like calling Eddie Murphy the first gay Saturday Night Live player. Yes, you know, yeah, yeah. So Which we know he is now, but you know, back then you had to put up like a front. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the, the bit I'm doing is <laughs> so. Rick Dees is doing 9 p.m. to midnight on WKIX-FM. And it's not the most popular gift on WKIX, but that's okay. Then came Rick Dees' big break, Memphis, Tennessee. He started, he got a job working WMPS AM 680 during the disco craze. And he was looking for a way to make some money. So this is what he did, okay? To earn extra money, he teamed up with a traveling disco roadshow. And it was sort of like a a traveling disco nightclub. But the thing was, Rick Dees made a deal with the traveling disco nightclub. And so... For every person who at the door, when they were walking in, told the bouncer, Rick Dees is an idiot, Rick Dees would make one dollar. Okay. I don't know how in the world anyone would come up with such a crazy ass uh, idea. But he did. And so he got on his radio show and said, hey, if you're going to the traveling disco road show, be sure and tell the man at the front door that Rick Dees is an idiot. And so uh, he's, he, his radio show became so popular that he started making $1,000 a night from the traveling disco nightclub. Wow. That's how popular his radio show was that suddenly he was raking in money by getting people to say that he's an idiot. 
Like, you know what? I never liked Rick D's, but that's some weird fucking respect that you just earned for that. Yeah. You know, that's a weird ass story. So Rick D's is working mornings at WMPS AM 680 in Memphis, Tennessee. He's the morning guy. He's the wacky morning radio DJ. But it's important to note that it's like the 70s. I'm not saying he was the first wacky morning radio DJ, but he was a pioneer in the world of, hey, I am the local silly family friendly Wacky morning show DJ. He was. The I, I would have to put cousin Brucey at in yeah, New York in that same cousin kind of category. Brucey, uh, Murray the K, Wolfman Jack. Yeah. But he he was more of the modern day, like hey hey hey, Rick D's in the morning. You know that sort of. Uh, it, it, nowadays, wacky morning DJ is commonplace, but he was like a pioneer in the world of wacky morning DJs, and what he would do. And he was one of the first people to to do this is that he would write and record funny novelty songs and parody songs and he'd play them on the air. And they were very funny. Nowadays, pretty much every a a ton of radio DJs do that. But he was doing it at the time. Um, uh, Rick Dees is playing his songs in Memphis and Estelle Axon. Axton. Estelle Axton hears them. Estelle is the is the co-founder of the legendary Stax Records. Okay. Apparently Memphis, Tennessee has a Memphis sound, and the Memphis sound originated with one record company in Memphis called Stax Records. They had they had signed such artists as Otis Redding, Booker T and the MGs, Isaac Hayes. They also did comedy albums. They released Richard Pryor. They released Bill Cosby. They were like a big ass record company in Memphis. And the co-founder of Sax Records is hearing Rick D's every morning and and gives him a call. And it's like, hey, we want to sign you to Sax Records. We've heard your wacky songs. Do you want to do comedy albums for us? So now Rick D's is doing a very popular radio show and he's recording comedy albums. But here's the crazy thing. Okay. The the radio station owner at WMPS AM 680 says, Rick, we need to have a talk. Now, you are a radio DJ, but now you're making albums. You cannot play your albums on our radio station. That would be a conflict of interest. Rick, we love you. We love your show. But absolutely no Rick D songs can ever or will ever play on this radio station. I don't even care if one of your songs becomes a hit. All over. A number one hit song. If one of your weird comedy songs suddenly, inexplicably becomes a hit song, even then we won't play it. Like that will ever happen, though. Yeah. So his third album featured a song called Disco Duck. Okay. It's uh, it's it has a plot about this guy who's embarrassed to dance, but eventually he gets the courage and gets on the the disco floor and starts dancing like a duck. And the whole comedy bit of it is that uh, 
when the guy is dancing, it's 100% the voice of Donald Duck. Yes. And the reason why I looked it up was because, like, uh, the kids were watching some duck dance and and Bella said, hey, that duck is dancing. And I'm like, oh, my God, is that disco duck? So I started singing disco duck. And then I started thinking about it. Like, that day 100%, that's a song where uh, Donald Duck is. Well, but you see, the thing is, is that, like, people, people more my age... Who remember the song when they came out? Mm-hmm. When it came out, we've really been trying to put it behind us, and we've been doing it a good job until you fucking meddling kids uncovered it. I'm talking about Disco Duck. Isn't this crazy? Yeah, isn't this weird? This this chap is about Disco Duck. Okay, so it was a so- dark day of music. <laughs> the reason why I looked up Disco Duck. And learn this story was because in my mind, I'm like, did Rick Dees get sued by Disney? Did he get Because that seems like the sort of thing that, that Disney would sue over, right? Because it is basically just Donald yeah. Duck singing in this disco song. And no, they didn't, they didn't sue at all. But they did eventually release an album called Mickey Mouse Disco. And I feel like that album wouldn't have existed without the popularity of the song Disco Duck. That's song would go on to sell over six million goddamn copies. Wow. It would reach number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts in October of 1976, and it can also be heard in a scene in a film you may have heard of called Saturday Night Fever. Yes, okay. They even asked him, like, uh, yes, he's on my it's what a burger and not water burger that's like uh, emerald when it, she realized that they weren't paper views that you paid her per view yeah she thought they were paper views yeah you just realized that they're not water burgers that's fucking wonderful so they even asked him, like, hey, do you want Disco Duck to be on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack? But the uh, Stax Records said uh, that might interfere with the sales of, of Rick Dees' album, so we're going to have to pass. But, oh, my God, Rick Dees could have been a bajillionaire. Yeah. If Disco Duck was on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Anyway, suddenly Rick Dees is touring the United States. He's touring the world. He's on TV. He's on talk shows. He's performing Disco Duck everywhere. The weirdest hit song to ever be a hit song. Uh, suddenly, uh, Rick Dees is a nationwide hit all over the nation, everywhere, except fucking Memphis. Okay. Because his radio station, WMPSAM, ref- still refuses. Like, I, I know, Rick, that you have the number one song in America. It's still a conflict of interest. We will never play Disco Duck on this radio station. Yeah. So his radio station wouldn't play it. But then all of the other radio stations in the entirety of Memphis they collectively go, well, shit, we can't play Disco Duck either, because if we do, we'll be advertising Rick D's in the morning on WMPSAM. 
So it's the number one song all over America, but not in Memphis where it never gets fucking played. Awesome. And it's so weird to think about. You are a hit all over America, but not in the one place that you live and work. Yes. You know, that is really odd. That is really weird to think about. Well, it's kind of like a grenade uh, blowing outward. Yeah. 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 It, it, he even appeared on American Bandstand and performed Disco Duck, but they preempted American Bandstand on Memphis TV for professional wrestling, which is the most Memphis thing I've ever heard of. Can can you can you claim an historic I think for the first time ever this is a story that we should claim the Pope on film needs to claim this yeah so that we can name the historical event the Rick D's crater yeah 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 because that's basically what it is yeah he was a hit everywhere, just not in the place where it mattered to him. Yeah. That's fucking fascinating to me. So there was no love in Memphis for Rick Dees, and because of Rick Dees' hit records, uh, his radio station, WNPS, fired him. Really? And they're like, okay. And they're like, hey, you're all over TV, you're all over the place, and you're super popular, and you've got this hit song, but like, I'm sorry, Rick. We're going to have to fire you. <laughs> so, they, so a local rival radio station scooped him up, but Rick Dees had a non-compete clause, so he could not go back on the air for 45 days. So while he waited, he went back to Hollywood. He was on American Bandstand again. He was on Soul Train. Oh, my God. There's no water in here. There's no water in here. So, so he's getting his name out there, and while he's in LA waiting for his non-complete clause to 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 dry up, an an AM radio station in LA offers him a morning show, and Rick D says, "Okay, great, this is what I want. Screw you, Memphis." So he moves to LA, and he does six to ten AM at ninety three KHJ AM, and. He's boosting their ratings, but also it's now like 1979, 1980, and AM radio is dying. <clears throat> and it's like, hey, Rick, you know, you're really boosting our ratings, but also we're going out of business and we're becoming a country music station. Yeah. So Rick Dees leaves 93KHJAM. And in July of 1981, he joins KISS FM in L.A. At the time, KISS FM was not doing good. Nobody knew KISS FM. KISS FM wasn't a big deal. With yeah. Rick in the morning, he was able to get them to number one in the ratings and, and make them so popular and so powerful that uh, KISS FM in L.A., is the highest-grossing radio station in America. Wow! And 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 Kiss FM and Kiss FM will even say like that all began with Rick D's coming to a radio station. Wow! And while 
Dees was on Kiss Kiss FM, he had an idea that like, what if we do a weekly top 40 radio show? We, We can syndicate it. We do it here at Kiss FM. We'll sell it to other radio stations. And it's the top 40 hits. Uh, on the radio at that time. And the first broadcast of uh, Rick D's weekly top 40 countdown was in October of 1983. Now, currently it is December, 2020. That motherfucker is still on the air. Yeah. Rick weekly top 40 has been on the air since 1983 that's some impressive fucking shit he was in la bamba <laughs> and i don't know when the last time was i heard or even thought of rick dees but god damn it this man's got my respect yes you know this is an insane story rick dees is an idiot he would make a thousand bucks a night just because strangers said he was an idiot. How do I get that job? Well, but at the same time, don't you sort of have to admit that your destiny and your best possible reality was to be a morning zoo DJ? I feel like he created the morning zoo. You know, like it's not that like, oh, he ended up being a morning zoo radio DJ. I feel that he came up with the concept of the morning zoo radio DJ. Well, if you were going to if you were going to change a morning zoo DJ into an avatar, into like a Christ figure, into like a Gandhi figure, you know, a personification it would be Rick Dees. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I am if you so were to, If you were to recognize a new Catholic saint, Rick Dees would be the patron saint of morning zoo shows. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I am, I, 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 I am fascinated by this story. Disco Duck. Yeah. Was a number one hit song. Well, at the time, the, the, look, you had to have fucking been there, okay? Because it was Disco Duck. It was Disco Lucy, which was a disco song set to the I, Lu- I Love Lucy theme song. I love that. I love that funky disco Star Wars theme. Yeah. I we had that. a disco version of the fifth of. Beethoven? Yes, I remember that. So, you know, if you take Disco Duck within context, it's a society crying out for help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just did an entire chap about Disco Duck, and I'm really proud of that. Oh, yeah. Really proud of that. This has been a great chap. I don't know what we're doing next week, but... I'm really excited to see what chef we have next week. But that's it for Steve's Historic Approximations this week. It it was about Disco Duck, and I'm really proud. Be sure and join us next week for more educationally uneducational fun with Steve's Historic Approximations! And cut on that. And cut on that.